0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, I'd like to uh, think for a moment with you about the pros and cons of social media. Let me just start by stating the obvious, that social media has become the tool that keeps people connected across time and space. It virtually eliminates the disconnect that physical distance creates and makes the world a much smaller place through technology. Um, We are all aware, I'm sure, of the many social movements of the last few years that were ultimately birthed and grew uh, through the means of social media, uh, particularly those crying out about injustices on various levels. And so we could say that on one level, uh, social media strengthens relationships with others. But there's another level in social media that undermines relationships, isn't there? Uh, Specifically, I'm thinking of the way that social media allows us to hide our true selves behind a screen and create versions of our ideal selves. Uh, you all you, you know, know what I mean. Uh, every post portrays happy, beautiful people with lots of friends having a wonderful time yet again in their exciting, near-perfect lives. Uh, what you don't see is postings of their bedhead Or that evening at home when no one is talking to one another, or pictures of themselves yelling at their kids. And then then we meet on Sundays and try to live up to the images that we've created for ourselves online, that everyone thinks are our true selves. Well, today I want to take you to a passage that will help us cut through the fog of fakeness and help us to discern what's genuine from what's false and fake. Hopefully, this message will help us create better relationships within the church based on better foundations. Today, we're gonna to look at Proverbs 14, to 7. Uh, I would venture that none of you have ever heard a message on Proverbs 14, and you might never hear one again. Uh, Proverbs 14 is the counterbalancing book to the book of Job that we've been studying. Uh, as Josh has been teaching us so well as we've worked our way through the book of Job, Job teaches that you can do all the right things and yet still endure terrible suffering. Sometimes we reap what we didn't sow. Proverbs, on the other hand, teaches us that there's a real cause and effect to life. Uh, it teaches us that blessing and prosperity comes from obeying God and living a life of wisdom. So the, the theme of Proverbs is you reap what you sow. So which one is it? We reap what we don't sow, Job, or we reap what we sow, Proverbs. Well, it's, it's both. Sometimes we reap what we sow, sometimes we reap what we didn't sow. And that's not just true about suffering, it's also true about blessing. If you are a believer in Christ today, you will one day reap what you did not sow. You sowed sin and should have reaped God's judgment. Instead, you will reap God's never-ending blessing because Jesus sowed himself in death like a kernel of wheat into the ground. Scripture says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, I don't have time to prove this to you today, but Proverbs is not a book of random wisdom verses. Many people think of it this way. Uh, Proverbs is not a book of random wisdom verses just thrown into the big jar called Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is, is organized in units according to clear themes. It's been, it's been composed by the Spirit of God through someone who is very wise. And, and it, is, it is organized. But because of the way Proverbs is written, because it's wisdom literature... And because we don't, we're not real familiar with wisdom literature, particularly in the West, uh, it requires careful thought to piece together the various pieces of the puzzle to get the picture in front of you. It's, it's some of you have been in an escape room and know you have to figure out stuff in order to get out of the room. Well, this is, Proverbs is like being in an escape room and trying to figure your way out. So let me read Proverbs 14, 1 to 7 to us. This is the first unit, and these seven verses go together in Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 1 to 7. I'll be reading from the ESV. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, But he who is devious in his ways despises him. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies." A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you will not meet words of knowledge. This passage gives us backdoor access to understand ourselves and those around us. This, this unit of seven verses teaches us how to avoid being tricked by fakes and to discern what is true and what is not genuine and genuine. Uh, we could say that these seven verses are actual training in discernment, learning how to function with discernment. So now let me try to show you how these various verses fit together like pieces of a puzzle. First of all, I want you to notice how character predicts behavior. Character predicts behavior. Um, we, can, we can lose the, the, the scriptures now, Naomi. Look, look with me at verse one in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, just listen carefully. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Now, what we have here is King Solomon uh, teaching his son, the prince, about the characteristics of a good wife. The word house here means home, the family, the basic unit of healthy societies, Uh, it shouldn't be too surprising to us to realize that there's nowhere in the Bible where it instructs young men to find the prettiest girl they can find and marry her. Obviously, chemistry and physical attraction matter in marriage. But it is not the main thing. Uh, Proverbs 31 says it well. Beauty does not last but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Now what Proverbs 14:1 does, it draws a clear connection between who the woman is on the inside and what influence she has on the home on the outside. One woman builds, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. We have one who builds and one who tears down. Why? Well, the verse tells us. Because one is wise and the other is foolish. In other words, the principle is character predicts behavior. Character predicts what will happen. Then, on the other hand, in verse 2, we find that behavior reveals character. Okay? Behavior reveals character. Character predicts behavior, but behavior reveals character. Verse 2 adds another layer to the teaching. Let me read it. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. We are to take verse 2 now and take the added light it gives us and and shine that light onto verse 1. What foolish behavior in verse 2 is singled out in particular that destroys homes and families? Do you see it there? Well, it tells us in the second line of verse 2, he who is devious in his ways despises him. And by the way, have you noticed it goes from talking about uh, the kind of woman that builds her house to a general principle, about all of life because now it's talking in general terms. Uh, the, the key issue that's singled out here uh, that is a demonstration of folly is deceit. He who is devious in his ways despises him. So, so faking it and any kind of deceit is like introducing carpenter ants into, your, into the wood of your home. Uh, when When husbands and wives have secrets from each other, it slowly tears the home apart. Now look again at verse two for the main insight that I think it's giving us here. Notice it shows us what is the hidden background that motivates the deceitful person. Let me read it again. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways Despises him. Verse 2 reveals that the behavior choices are the overflow of one's relationship to God. Uh, The the devious person is somebody who despises the Lord. The one who walks in uprightness is somebody who fears the Lord. Uh, To fear the Lord, uh, it's a big theme, but to fear the Lord essentially means to take God seriously. I would say to take him very seriously. To despise God is to ignore him in our thoughts and actions. It's, uh, it's living without giving him a second thought. I often have I've mentioned to people about the commandment about um, not taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. And people think that primarily refers to just cursing and profanity, and it does. But primarily, that's not what it's hitting on there. What it's primarily hitting it on is, is treating God's name like it doesn't matter. That's why when we hear profanity in TV shows and movies over and over and over again, and it doesn't affect us, it's, we, we are committing that, we are breaking that commandment. Uh, when, it, 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 when When we are not affected by God's name being smashed and and buried, and treated like it's nothing, like it's just part of regular conversation, when, when it's used next, uh, like profanity, but, but it's, it's not treated with reverence, and worship, and awe, it's not used for prayer. When it becomes an ordinary thing, that's what that commandment is speaking about. Well, someone who despises God, that's what they're doing. They're not actively hating God, they're just ignoring God. They're living as if he doesn't exist at all. You, you know this is true. When we ignore people and, and, and disrespect them, we, we are, actually, when we are ignoring people, we are showing them disrespect. We are despising them. When uh, people that you, you care about and that you love and that you, you hold in high regard, you don't just ignore them. You ignore people that, that you don't care about. Well, it's, it's the same in our relationship with God. It's interesting that this word despise is the same word in the original Hebrew that is used to describe King David's actions when he killed Uriah, his loyal friend, and took his wife Bathsheba for himself. Listen to what the prophet Nathan says to David. And just listen. I deliberately asked that we wouldn't have the outline today, because I want, I want you to listen rather than just seeing. He says to David, why have you despised the word of the Lord? Same word. To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. Same word, because you have despised me. God said, what you did to Uriah and what you did to Bathsheba, that came out of despising me, David. David acted as if God wasn't real when he did that. And he paid for it for the rest of his life. He's one of the heroes of the faith. He's a godly man. But the action that he committed he paid for for the rest of his life. David's life never was the same again after that moment. It was all victories up to that point. From that point his life got really hard. God made him pay and in this life. He didn't he was taken to heaven. I'm sure David is one of the heroes of heaven. But in this life he paid big time for despising God. So this then brings us to the main principle I want to point out to you today, these two insights from verse one and two form a circular pattern that will become the operating principle for this section of scripture. Um, we've got a PowerPoint there for you, and this is, this, this is what I want you to remember today. In other words, this, this text of scripture, this wisdom literature, is telling us that we have two ways to access truth about people. Number one, as I interact with people, uh, their character tells me a lot about how they will behave in future situations. Okay? Their character predicts what they will do in the future because behavior comes out of character. And when I observe their behavior, the things they do, and don't do the things they say and don't say, I am given insight into who they really are. Now, I find it, I always find it fascinating as I read through my Bible about the way the Holy Spirit guides people to write scripture and the things he decides to pick out as key specific examples of this. So what do you think the Holy Spirit would, would put into the mind of Solomon to write about when it comes to uh, the whole area of, of wisdom and folly and teaching this, this, this principle to us? Well, <clears throat> the two areas are the way that we speak and the way that we approach growth. The way that we approach growth. Verse three and verse five deal with the speech element. Verse three, by the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Uh, And this is further proof that behavior reveals character. And verse three is telling us that our words don't just affect other people. Our words affect us. They hurt us or they preserve us. Words are powerful signs of what's in the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, in the, in the, in the great letter uh, to the Romans, the, the book of Romans, where it's, it's the clearest presentation of the gospel in the whole Bible. Uh, as the Apostle Paul is bringing his, his arguments about the lostness of humanity and our need to trust in a, in a Savior... His, his concluding arguments in chapter three about the, the, the lostness of mankind, uh, he, he, he brings his argument to a close by talking about speech and universal speech habits. Listen to what he says. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. And by the way, that doesn't make sense to us because everything's sanitized in the West. But let me tell you, in the heat of the Middle East, back when, before they were, were, if you didn't get a body in the grave quickly, it started to smell, you see? The stench of an open grave is is something that a a lot of cultures could relate to. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing, and bitterness they have no fear of God at all. He, Paul brings his his argument to a conclusion, talking all about speech, because he knows no matter what you can, uh, you can relieve yourself of guilt on many, many levels, but everybody is equally bound by by sinful speech and then in verse five uh, Our author stresses the other side of our principle, that character predicts behavior. And verse 5 is one of those, by the way, whenever you read a verse in Proverbs that seems too obvious to even bother with, it always is you haven't understood it properly. The really obvious ones are actually the ones that share some of the deepest insights. And and verse 5 seems like that. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. You go, well, yeah, yeah. But listen, there's more than meets the eye here. Faithful people are people with a strong sense of moral boundary. Uh, they, they have a strong sense of right and wrong. And what it's saying is even under pressure, they will be faithful to who they are. They will tell the truth even if it hurts. Uh, Psalm 15 talks about the righteous man and says it is, they are those who keep their promises even when it hurts. But a false witness, a false witness is a person who doesn't live within God's prescribed boundaries. Uh, And they find it incredibly easy to lie. If if you don't live within God's boundaries, it's really easy to lie. If you live within God's boundaries, you won't let yourself lie. What verse uh, verse three is telling us, sorry, what verse... um, 5 is telling us is that people act according to their nature. People act according to their nature. My friends, we are not sinners because we sin. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. You see the difference? We sin because that's who we are. We're we're acting as we are in our heart. Our heart is bent towards sin and therefore we sin. Sin is a condition that leads to acts and words and thoughts. Now, if you've been around this church for a long time, you've heard me preach a lot of sermons on Proverbs. It's my favorite book in the Bible. Probably my favorite book because I'm a very foolish man and need a lot of help I'm trying to be wise. But one of the things about wisdom literature is it doesn't teach truth in a linear way. We're, we're, Romans, Ephesians are books that teach in a linear way. There's, a, there's an argument like going up steps. But wisdom literature is not like that. Wisdom literature teaches truth in a circular way and it's more like a bullseye. There's truth typically in the units on the outside and then the next layer on the inside. And usually the central verse is the main verse. It's the exclamation point. We'll, we'll, Well, look at what's the exclamation point verse in this unit. It doesn't even seem to fit. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Verse four. Verse four is the bullseye. What is verse four saying, and why is it the exclamation point of what we're talking about today? Well, what it's saying is that if you want to see growth, you've got to be willing to live with a little bit of messiness in your life, and you've got to pay the cost. In in this case, you've got to buy the oxen. Sure, you can have a manger. The feeding trough can be clean with no oxen. That's a kind of a small benefit. But if you actually wanna have abundant crops, if you wanna be prosperous, you gotta invest in the oxen in order to get the crops. Any businessman will tell you about this. You have to hire new people if you want the the business to grow. You have to buy the new equipment if you want your business to grow. That's the way it works. Well, how does this illustrate our main principle? And why is this the bullseye? Well, I I think verse four, is revealing something crucial to us about wise and foolish people. And this, if you forget everything else I say, remember this, is the fool always has an excuse about why they can't and shouldn't take any risks. And they are unwilling to pay the personal price that's required to succeed. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. It's using exaggerated language there to say, the the sluggard, the person that doesn't want to work, the fool, will, will come up with all kinds of excuses about why he can't go to work today. On the other hand, the wise count the cost and are willing to pay any cost necessary in order to gain a greater benefit. The cost benefit analysis is worth it when the benefit outweighs the cost, even if the cost is great. Is this not what Christ did, my friends? It would have been so much easier for Christ to stay in heaven where he was worshiped by the heavenly host. It was messy to come down to earth and save us. Oh, and it was very costly. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Why would would Christ pay such an enormous price to save us? Why? Because of the abundant harvest. They came afterward. Listen to what scripture says in Hebrews 2. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory. I wish I could, uh, Galen, that was great. You know, I'm always amazed how often the, 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 the songs we sing have something to do with the message and we haven't coordinated always. Certainly, I think Josh usually coordinates with them better than me, but I'm disorganized. So they, they get it together even when we, we haven't gotten our heads together. There's a, there was a line in one of those verses about bringing many, there's so many and there's many sons and daughters they're gonna bring brought in. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Christ descended from the highest heights to the lowest place so that those who had lost their way might be taken up to the heights. My friends, what what kind of love is this that Christ would do this for you and for me to save us? Will you turn away from one who has paid such a high cost to buy you back for God? The wise will make great sacrifices if the benefits are worth it. The foolish will always take the pathway of least resistance that requires no personal cost to themselves. They will follow the impulse of their lusts rather than God's will. And this is further confirmed in verse six. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Uh, You know, in the book of Proverbs, uh, there are five kinds of fool, five different Hebrew words for fool. The the most, uh, the the lowest, the bottom rung, the worst kind of fool is the scoffer. So we're talking about the worst kind of fool here. This kind of fool cannot bear to be corrected. And as Bruce Walke, Bruce Walke is probably the foremost scholar on the book of Proverbs in the entire world. He says it so well, instead of finding the wisdom that corrects them, their pride and desire for social power bring them back to themselves. On the other hand, it says that wisdom comes easy. Knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Uh, have you ever thought about when the, rain, when the rain comes down, does it pool on the mountain peaks? No, it doesn't. It runs down and pools in the valleys. If you want to receive God's wisdom, you can't be a proud mountain peak. You've got to be a humble valley. Because that's, that's where wisdom is found. Verse 6 is a good example of a verse that is talking about God without mentioning Him. It's talking about how God responds to the God fear. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So, how are we to respond to this? The response verse in the unit is verse 7. It says, leave the presence of a fool, for there you will not meet words of knowledge. Be careful who you take advice from, that's what it's saying. Uh, We are to befriend everyone, we are to love everyone, but we are not to get real close to everyone. We are not to let everybody speak into our lives. We we, we want the wise to be our confidants. We want the wise to be the ones that help guide us in life. Let me tell you that if, if, if you're looking for a spouse, pay attention to more than looks. Pay attention to the wisdom element. Because Scripture tells us that who whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. It's amazing. You can study for wisdom. You can pray for wisdom. There's lots of avenues to getting wise. But one of the ways you can get wise is just by hanging out with wise people. Wise people will make you wise. But it says the companion of fools will suffer harm. We become like the people we spend time with. That's just the reality. We become like our friends. So choose your friends wisely. Well, I'd like to give you two applications that we can draw from this. They both speak to people who are the singles among us because I think this text is in particular, it's to to everybody because it's in the Bible, but in particular, King Solomon is giving instructions to his son and he's particularly giving instructions about how to choose a good wife, though ultimately in those days it was chosen for him. How to recognize a good wife maybe is a better way to say it. First, I often hear the unmarried talk about the importance of finding the right person. May I suggest something better than that? How about focusing on becoming the right person that somebody else finds? My experience over the years shows that people usually marry their spiritual equals. At the time of marriage, People usually marry their spiritual equals, but they don't often stay that way. Oftentimes, after marriage, one of the spouses wants to really grow. They want to pay the price, the other one doesn't. And so there's a distance created and they slowly drift away from each other. If you want a godly person in your life in the future, become the kind of person today that a godly person would be attracted to. Character predicts behavior. The man that mentored me many years ago said, Tim, uh, if you want to find a spouse, find her from the prayer meeting crowd, not from the local nightclub. Go where the godly gather. And number two, if you want to know, because you don't know this when you're spending time, but if you want to know how a man will likely treat you in the future, pay attention to how he treats His mother. And if you want to know how a woman will likely relate to her husband in the future, pay attention to how she relates to her father. Because behavior reveals character, just as character predicts behavior. How people treat others show a lot about what kind of people they are. This is not always true, by the way. There's there's always exceptions to the rule, but the the rule proves itself. And then there are exceptions, of course. Present visible behavior reveals hidden character. Let's pray. I pray, Father, that we will um, learn this basic truth that is almost so obvious we feel like we don't have to learn it. That the way we are, the way we behave does say something about who we are. There is a relationship between who we are and what we, how we behave. And if our behavior has folly written all over it, it probably means that We don't really know Jesus. And so I pray, Father, today, right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, I ask this, you know I've been asking this this week, that if there are any among us who um, don't know you, I pray you draw them to you now. Help them to know that they are that person. And if there are any among us who know you but have been starting to walk down foolish pathways. They're not in the, in the safety of wisdom. Oh Lord, protect them. And I pray, Lord, that you will teach us all how to be discerning people. Lord, this is not instruction on how to be judgmental and condemn everybody and forget ourselves. This is instruction on how to understand our own hearts as much as others. Oh Lord, help us to understand the connection between character and behavior. Just before I finish praying, um, I was thinking today, this morning, about during marriage, there's the vows of marriage, and this is how it's usually worded. Will you take this person as your lawfully wedded husband or wife. Will you? It's a choice. So I ask you today, will you give yourself to Jesus today? Will you? That's the way we become Christians, willing ourselves to entrust ourselves to him. And there's three simple little phrases that we all know that will help you get there. I'm sorry, thank you, and please. I'm sorry for despising and ignoring you for so long, and I choose now to turn away from trusting in myself. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again. Please take over my life. I want you as my Lord. I trust in you. Will you do that today, my friend? Will you? And if not, why not? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.